Sweltering heat wasn't the only big story worth talking about this week. Buckle up as we take you through the week's most impactful, confusing, and befuddling local news stories from KCI to your local grocery store, from pot to ice cream. We'll explain next. Week in Review is made possible through the generous support of AARP Kansas City, RSM, Dave and Jamie Cummings, Bob and Marlise Gorley, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Welcome, I'm Nick Haynes, and thanks for joining us again on our weekly voyage through our Metro's top news stories. On that journey with us this week, KCUR News Director Lisa Rodriguez, Dave Helling of the Kansas City Star from KNBC 9 News, political analyst Michael Mahoney, and Mr. Up-to-Date on KCUR-FM, Steve Kraske. We're going to start this week at the airport when President Biden signed the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan last year. It was intended to help families, businesses and local governments recover from the COVID pandemic. So should Kansas City be spending $5 million of its newfound cash to help lure an international airline to KCI since Iceland Air pulled out of Kansas City in 2019? There is no direct flight from our airport to anywhere outside of North America. That's unfortunate. But is this what Congress, Lisa, had in mind when they signed off on over a trillion dollars in recovery money to help KCI land an international airline? I had I had a feeling that question was coming to me. You know, I <laughs> I think there's you know there's a case that city officials will make about how um, that that money is also intended to help cities rebound and to help help boost economic development. However, I think for for someone watching this happen, five million dollars to lure an international flight was not exactly what we pictured. It feels like we're getting to a point where there is this money to be had and cities are looking for one-time expenses for which, uh, you know, with what to do with this money. You know, I remember, Steve, when Overland Park, at the very beginning of the pandemic, it was using some of its COVID money to put in security cameras or new video cameras at the Overland Park soccer complex. And they had to walk all that back because there was so much indignation. Uh, is, is this a bad look, too, that we'd spend this kind of money on, on trying to find a flight to KCI? Oh, I agree with Lisa. I think it's a little bit questionable, Nick. I just want to underscore a point when the federal government uh, set this thing up, these funds are supposed to be for non-recurring costs. And so one big question in my mind is whether you bring an airline here who can provide that cross-Atlantic uh, service to Kansas Cityans, will it be just a one-time thing or would it be wind up being an ongoing subsidy to keep that airline here once we get it, because once we get it, we're not going to want to lose it. We're going to want to keep it here. So that's a big question that remains out there. You know, Dave, other cities certainly have been using money to try and lure airlines over the years. I see St. Louis, for example, committed up to a $5 million to, uh, to bring in Lufthansa, the German airline, to uh, Lambert Field in St. Louis. And the Pennsylvania Economic Development Agency spent $3 million bringing in British Airways uh, to try and get a flight from Pittsburgh to London's Heathrow Airport. But what would happen here? I mean, even if we landed an international flight, a British Airways, for instance, they, what stops them from just taking the money and then leaving once the money runs out. Nothing. And we saw that in Iceland Air, didn't we? I mean, they paid money for, for that uh, transatlantic service, and it went away uh, as soon as the subsidy went away. In fact, it may have gone away even with the subsidy because uh, the market just wasn't there. This is a loser's game wherever you play it, Nick. You can 
spend all the money you want to get a, a new flight or a new group of flights, but the market really dictates where which airports are served and how often with what quality. And that's what we need to focus on, it seems like. And not using, I must say, COVID money of all things uh, to try and uh, build up this service. Does the business case for this new KCI terminal, Michael, rely on there being an international uh, airline coming in to this new airport? Or is that just something that's nice to have? I think it's something nice to have and uh, to sort of ratify what we've all said to this point. For the average Kansas City and the average folk uh, that would uh, use KCI to get somewhere else, this probably doesn't pass the smell test. Just quickly, Nick, can I just throw this in quickly? People are watching. I mean, when you spend money on stuff like this, people who have immediate needs are watching. There was a great quote in the Star this week uh, in, in a story about Parade Park, of all things, which, as you know, is falling apart. And one of the residents of Parade Park said, uh, you know, hey, you're spending $160 million on a park over the interstate, and these houses are going away. Uh, you know, people are watching these decisions, so there is a cost, uh, political cost, if you will, for some of these uh, spending choices. Now, we spent a lot of time talking about abortion last week, and we certainly got plenty of calls and emails from you about that this week with more local protests planned. Janice in Waldo wants to know, how does Missouri plan to enforce its zero abortion law if Roe v. Wade is overturned? She writes, would a search warrant be issued for a woman's phone or laptop to see what doctors she sought out? Would relatives and friends be interrogated as to a woman's menstrual cycle? Would Missouri subpoena insurance, travel, and bank records? Do we have any clear answers to that? at this point, Lisa? You know, I don't think we have any clear answers as to how that might be enforced, but I think it raises, she raises a lot of really um, prescient concerns right now. When you look at, you know, a law like the one passed in Texas, which allows citizens to report violations or to report any suspicion that a woman's had an abortion, all of these issues come out in the open. Data privacy experts are worried that that you could be issued a subpoena for, uh, you know, an app that you use to track your health. Many women use period tracking apps. You know, women who are who are trying to get pregnant or trying not to get pregnant, and that might show whether a pregnancy has started and then ended. So there's all of these apps that we use, not just women, um, anyone get it, gathering health information that could all be available to, to subpoena. So there are huge concerns over data privacy here, um, even as we don't know exactly whether or how Missouri might enforce its law. Steve. You know, several points uh, to Lisa's point. So much is unknown here, Nick. We need to sort through a lot of things. Second point, I think much will depend on who the Attorney General of Missouri is going forward uh, after Roe versus Wade is switched. Uh, uh, the current Attorney General, Eric Schmidt, up for the U.S. Senate, that, might, that office might be changing hands. The third thing is you can very quickly begin to imagine prosecutors, uh, judges, uh, you know, other folks looking for information about uh, looking at a woman's cell phone for where she was, who she talked to, who she visited with. You know, it could become the wild, wild west very, very quickly here, Nick. Remember that Missouri and the health department did track some uh, menstrual data uh, from Medicaid patients back uh, in the early uh, part of the uh, Parson administration. And then the other thing to remember is I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility here that the moment 
the state tries to uh, invoke the trigger law should Roe v. Wade be struck down, uh, I would expect that there may be a race to the courthouse to uh, put a, an injunction on that, at least for the time being. So there are lots of questions about how this, how soon this thing would be applicable in the state. And just quickly, pro-choice uh, pro groups in Missouri have said, well, we don't think this will impact some birth control uh, methods like IUDs, interuterine devices, or Plan B pills. But I talked to experts this week who have a very different view, and they think that if Roe is struck down, they think that birth control methods uh, like IUDs could become illegal and prosecutable. And while we don't, it's hard to imagine that happening, Nick. You can see in a smaller county, maybe a county, someone wanted making a name for himself or herself running for office might pursue those charges. We are indeed headed to a great time of uncertainty on this front if uh, Roe v. Wade is struck down. Now, just because we don't seem to have any answers, should we stop highlighting the fact that violent crime continues to plague our city? In the past week, nine people shot to death across our metro in Kansas City. We're now on target to hit a record number of homicides. With a new hand at the wheel in Kansas City Police Headquarters, is there any evidence a new approach or new tactics being employed to stem the violence? You're asking good questions here about the connection between the police department and violence, but hey, you know, we've got to really think about poverty and root causes of crime in some really profound ways. And it's a conversation this community is simply not having. Why? Because the potential answers are probably extraordinarily expensive and lots of things to work out and think about if you would decide to go in that direction in a really concerted way. It's important to monitor what the police department's doing, Nick, but that is just one perhaps small uh, piece of this puzzle as we try to wrestle this demon to the ground. Perhaps the biggest uh, news announcement came from Mayor Lucas this week, who said, uh, in, and certainly facing pressure, Lisa, about increasing crime, he wants to now lead the Board of Police Commissioners. Would that change really make a difference, though, to the number of homicides we're seeing in the city, or is this just a, a performative exercise to show that he's actually trying to do something? Nick, maybe a little bit of both. I, I, I think that Certainly, the, the head of the Board of Police Commissioners has power to set agendas. They have much more contact with, um, with the you know, leadership at the department. So there are certain things that they may be able, that, that the mayor may be able in that position to influence. Will that have a significant impact on, um, on reducing homicides? I don't know. I think we've yet to see how the mayor works with the interim police chief. We've yet to hear from the interim chief, Mabin, um, you know, any specifics about how he may want to change things. So I think there's potential for, for the mayor to have more influence in that role. I also think it, you know, it does signal for him that violent crime, there is nothing more important than that. The argument against having the mayor be the president of the police board in the past has been because he has other more pressing things to deal with. And then by making this move, he's saying there is nothing more pressing than violent crime in Kansas City. Does it make a difference, Dave? Well, it could at the margins, Nick, and it's worth trying. I mean, a lot of other things have been tried and not worked on this front. So putting the mayor in charge of the police board might have some effect. Uh, it's hard to see how it would hurt. So perhaps it's something that should be tried. But as we've discussed so often on this program, the roots of violent crime in the Kansas City region are so deep and so difficult and so intertwined and so hampered, by the way, by statutes that uh, prohibit real action on 
guns and gun possession that uh, it, one step isn't the answer. It simply isn't. I will expect that there is going to be some serious pushback by the insiders at uh, the police department and their political allies in the city and the state about letting this go uh, go forward. I'd be very skeptical. Uh, the mayor wants a shot at leading the uh, police board. Fine, I get what he's trying to say there. I think he's going to get an awful lot of pushback on the inside. Now, a triple shooting in Westport, renewed debate about how to respond to gun violence this week. The entertainment district already requires visitors to go through a metal detector to gain access on busy weekend nights. But this happened just outside of the bar area in the parking lot of World Market. And it also happened just before the district began its weekend security screenings. Westport business owner Bill Nigro says a lot of the money the nightclub district is spending on security doesn't actually go to protecting the public, but on paying for diversity monitors. And as a result, it's cost us a lot of security personnel that we could have on the perimeter dealing with our issues. So is there a push now to ditch the diversity monitors so more money can be spent on security, Steve? Well, I think, you know, clearly Bill Nigro is looking at that and wondering about it. I think he'll have a hard time. Uh, the ad hoc group against crime provides some of these monitors and given the number of issues this community has experienced in recent years with people of color being unfairly targeted I think he has a tough fight on his hands. He also is making a good point, though. He needs more help. And this is money that's being spent on something else besides security. And I understand his concern. I'm not sure he's going to get very far with it. Now, by the way, we are taking a closer look at Kansas City's violence problem with a new documentary that airs next week. It takes you inside Kansas City's deadliest debate. It's called The Gun Conundrum. You can see that Thursday night at 7 here on Kansas City PBS. Up next, how would you like a 12% pay raise? What, you mean you can't remember the last time you even got a raise? Well, this week, Mayor Quinta Lucas inking a deal that gives frontline city workers an average 12.5% pay boost. That's everyone from those who pave our streets to trash collectors. Last week, you may recall, the big complaint was that Kansas City was struggling to fill potholes because they couldn't find enough workers because the pay was so poor. Does this now solve the problem, Lisa? I don't know that it solves the problem entirely, but it's, it's a major step and an important step to take. I I think there's only so much you can say about filling potholes and having maintenance workers and, and the people who actually make this city run and, and not paying them enough. You've got to give them a livable wage. You have to make these jobs desirable. I think this was a big step for work for city workers. And, and I think if, if we can make those jobs more desirable and fill out the ranks, then maybe we won't be complaining quite as much about potholes or, or sidewalks or, or trash collection. Now, Dave, on, on our first topic about KCI and the international flight, you said people were watching the money now, that more people are watching the money. So how does the city pay for a 12.5% average pay raise, and what happens in future years? They pay for it because the city, like most governments, Nick, is flush with cash. Uh, from, now, uh, COVID right now they are. Now, that's correct. There's no question. In this case, we, we need to be clear, Local 500, which represents most city workers for things like pothole filling and trash removal, have been underfunded for decades, decades. They have gotten raises smaller than those for the police department and the fire department, which 
in oversized raises, again, going back to the 1990s, as long as I've covered City Hall, this is a bit of a catch-up. You, you mentioned police officers. I saw there was a KCTV 5 investigation this week saying the Kansas City police officers, Steve, were earning $30,000 less than just up the road in Des Moines, a smaller community than Kansas City. If we can pay 12.5% pay raises for those who are collecting our trash, is $30,000 bonuses heading to our police officers in Kansas City? Well, it may be simply because we're down. Uh, Kansas City, Missouri is really uh, doesn't have enough officers right now down 17 percent, Nick. Kansas City, Kansas down 8 percent. Gladstone down 19 percent. Overland Park down 12 percent. And a lot of the issues are they can go elsewhere and make more money these days. And this is sort of the insidious nature of inflation and supply chain issues and what this country is going through right now. So many people are deserving and need to get paid more to keep these jobs that people don't want to do, and we're all having to pay for it. Now, Sunday was the deadline to submit petition signatures to get statewide questions on the ballot in Missouri. Now the count begins this week. Getting in their petitions just ahead of the deadline was the campaign to legalize recreational marijuana in Missouri. It would allow adults aged 21 and older to buy and grow weed for personal use. It would also automatically clear criminal records for people who have been convicted of non-violent pot-related offenses. This is really just wiping the slate clean and giving those people a fresh start, and quite frankly, it's transformative. Also submitting signatures for possible inclusion on the November ballot was a group calling for rank-choice voting in Missouri. If approved, the measure would eliminate party primary elections. Instead, Missouri voters would get a single primary ballot with both Republican and Democratic candidates. The top four vote-getters would advance to the general election. Voters who get ignored now, you have to pay attention to them under better elections if you're a candidate. Well, let's take a closer look at both of these. Firstly, pot. So if this is on the ballot in November, Michael, and voters say yes, you could start growing weed in your house, buy pot off the street, no questions asked? Nope, it wouldn't happen like that. Uh, there would have to be some uh, administrative rules put into place beforehand when medical marijuana was approved by the voters. It was well over a year before that uh, that, that uh, sort of program got up. It was darn near two years before there were dispensaries uh, for it. Uh, I don't think, I don't expect it will be um, instantaneous, not at all. What happened in Kansas, um, Steve? I thought that this was going to be the year that they would at least take one little inch, inch, one foot step forward and at least have medical marijuana. And now we're almost at the end of the session. Nothing's that was happened. the prediction, Nick. You get a sense that lawmakers in Topeka just don't want to deal with this issue in an election year. They're going to probably sidestep it, uh, almost surely sidestep it, and then maybe take a look at it again next year. I thought the same thing, Nick, but they're not going there. Now, I mentioned there were two statewide ballot issues. Missourians are likely to be voting on this fall. Pot is one. The second is upending the way we vote by changing to what is called ranked choice voting. No longer will you pick one candidate when you vote, but if it's approved, you would rank up to four. Does it sound confusing? Well, here's how it's being explained with someone, something actually most of us love to eat, ice cream. What if no ice cream flavor has more than 50% of the vote? Under a normal race, vanilla would win, even though a majority of voters didn't pick it. With ranked choice voting, the flavor with the fewest votes is eliminated, and voters who chose that flavor as number one will have their votes count for their next choice. Everyone gets a say, no one wastes their vote, and the winner is the flavor that the largest number of people agreed upon. That's ranked choice voting. It's as easy as one, two, three.
Alrighty, I'm not sure if you prefer vanilla, chocolate or cookie dough ice cream. If approved, how would this change, Dave Helling, the kinds of candidates running for office and the kinds of campaigns they wage to win office in Missouri? Would it really make a difference? Well, the people who support this ballot measure, Nick, say yes. They say it would attract more centrist candidates from both parties who believe that they don't really need to go to the uh, extremist wings, either on the left or the right. They need to appeal to the broadest possible electorate, and there will be resistance to this. It does appear they have enough signatures, far more than they need, to put this on the ballot uh, this year. Is this too confusing, even with that sort of cute ice cream animated video there, Lisa? I, I think it has it has the potential to be. I think the, the biggest headache seems to be for election offices and how you can get you know results out in a timely manner. Could, 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 yeah. could, could we look back and, and look at, say, uh, the U.S. Senate race in Missouri? Would Josh Hawley have won in this race? Would Eric Greitens, when he was running for governor, have run under this system? Yeah, I don't think there's any reason to think that the results in recent races necessarily would switch, Nick. But having said that, you know, the problem the supporters of this idea have is that you've got to explain it. And when you're explaining in politics, you're asking for a lot of trouble. That said, if you're concerned about too much partisanship in politics, this is an idea that everyone ought to take a very serious look at. And the other concern that some people have with this, if you are in a particularly red or a particularly blue part of, uh, of uh, the voting world, um, you may get four people all from the same party as, in the final four. And uh, then if you're a Democrat or, or a Republican, you might not have a choice. But Steve's point's uh, important here. If you've got to explain this stuff, most voters, if they don't get it on the first explanation, just back away and say no. Even though it is being done in a number of states right now and a lot of cities across America, including New York City doing it and Minneapolis, I can't finish this week's show without mentioning something that's been talked about for months but now is finally happening. Governor Laura Kelly officially signing into law an elimination of the sales tax on groceries in Kansas. No family in Kansas should have to choose between buying groceries and paying the rent or mortgage. Kelly says it could save the average family $500 a year, but Dave, we're not going to see any big cut in our grocery bills anytime soon. This doesn't start till next year? Well, and it doesn't go into effect all at once. It's phased in over three years, so anyone expecting to get that $500 back even next year is probably going to be disappointed. All kinds of politics involved in this, Nick. Governor Kelly could have done this four years ago, just a clean proposal to eliminate the tax. She refused to do so. I remember asking her about it four years ago, and she just didn't think it was the right time. There's all kinds of politics involved in this important decision. Ultimately, Kansans should benefit from it. Make no mistake about it, Nick. This is a victory for Kansas consumers. But the fact they have to wait until January to begin enjoying the benefits of this tax cut really is unconscionable at a time of soaring inflation and when the state budget has got more money in, in surplus than it's had ever before in state history. This was, to Dave's point, pure politics being played here. I think Republicans handed Governor Kelly an issue. She can beat on this some more before Election Day in November. Now, when you put a program like this together every week, you can't get to every big story making the headlines. What was the big local story we missed? It was a week in which we flirted with record high temperatures and our gas prices went through the roof, up 18 cents a gallon in a single week. I put in about 20 bucks just to get me by. 
A surprising new supply chain shortage as parents struggle to find baby formula in Kansas City. It's like a constant hunt. So like Target hasn't even had in stock for I don't even know how long. It was another week of protests, not just over abortion, but in our schools, students walk out at Lincoln Prep. They're complaining that sexual assaults and racist incidents are being ignored. These are the adults who get paid to take care of us, so why aren't they taking care of us? It was a week that saw America's top race car drivers back in town, and as we wait to find out if Kansas City will play host to the World Cup, could we be the site for another huge global sporting event? Kansas City on the shortlist to host the Rugby World Cup as the U.S. wins its bid for the men's and women's tournaments starting in 2031. It's considered the world's third largest sporting event after the Summer Olympics and the World Cup. Alrighty, Lisa, did you pick one of those stories or something completely different? It, it's a tough one because the, the baby formula story is, is huge and will affect so, so many women. Um, but I picked uh, earlier this week, we, we received news that the Kansas City Anti-Violence Project was suddenly shutting down uh, for lack of funding. This is um, a, a center that's provided support for uh, LGBTQ people who were victims of sexual assault, domestic violence, and hate violence. And there, there are other centers that provide these supports, but the closure um, of, of this center, I think particularly in the moment that we are in seeing increased violence against uh, trans people and queer people is, is significant and a huge loss in Kansas City. Michael. Redistricting. Uh, it, the uh, problem in Missouri with redistricting after the 2020 census uh, dominated the legislative session, in particular in the Senate this year. It clogged up lots of legislation uh, all year long. And on the Kansas side, the Kansas State Supreme Court on Monday will hear the lawsuit over the Wyandotte County case involving uh, uh, redistricting in the state of Kansas, which includes splitting Wyandotte County, as well as what they call the Lawrence Scoop, sticking that uh, rather than being in the second all the way out to the big first, which goes all the way to the Colorado line. Redistricting on both states. Steve. I think the problems at Lincoln Prep, Nick, institutional racism, overt racist acts, a staff member recently removed for allegedly inappropriate behavior. You know, that's just not, can't stand, and our students deserve better. We need to keep a very close eye on Lincoln Prep. Dave. My colleague Melinda Hinneberger won the Pulitzer Prize this week for her coverage of police corruption in Kansas City, Kansas, and Wyandotte County. Congratulations to her. Two lessons there. First, local news still matters. Yep. Second, there is much work still to be done in Kansas City, Kansas. I'm Belinda Hennenberger, just leaving the Kansas City Star, though, to head over to McClatchy in California. Yes, she will be missed. She's going there to write, and uh, but the work of the editorial board continues. <laughs> and on that, we will say our week has been reviewed. Thanks to Michael Mahoney from Channel 9, the star's Dave Helling, and from KCUR, News Director Lisa Rodriguez and Steve Kraske, keeping you up to date every weekday morning at 9 on KCUR-FM. And I'm Nick Haynes. From all of us here at Kansas City BBS, be well, keep calm, and carry on.